Unprepared to engage Mormon missionaries when they knock on your door? Perhaps the book Mormonism 101 will help. Mormonism 101, published by Baker Book. Available at your favorite Christian bookstore. Viewpoint on Mormonism, the program that examines the teachings of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints from a biblical perspective. Viewpoint on Mormonism is sponsored by Mormonism Research Ministry. Since 1979, Mormonism Research Ministry has been dedicated to equipping the body of Christ with answers regarding the Christian faith in a manner that expresses gentleness and respect. And now, your host for today's Viewpoint on Mormonism. So glad you could be with us for this edition of Viewpoint on Mormonism. I'm your host, Bill McKeever, founder and director of Mormonism Research Ministry. Today we continue with a lecture given by Dr. James White at one of our Compassionate Boldness conferences held here in Salt Lake City. For those unfamiliar with the work of James White, let me briefly say that he has authored several books in the field of apologetics and has been involved in over a hundred debates with those who would try to undermine the claims of the Christian faith. He is the director of Alpha and Omega Ministries based in Phoenix, Arizona, and his website address is AO min.org. That's A-O-M-I-N.org. Because Mormons are led to believe that our Bibles have been corrupted over the centuries, I asked James to present evidence showing that such fears are unfounded. I realized that because James was using PowerPoint, not seeing his visuals may make for a slight disadvantage. Still, I hope you will find what he has to say in his talk, Can We Trust the New Testament? Responding to Article 8 to be helpful. I'm just sitting here looking at this. I'm going, oh, look. My friend Rich Pierce, the president of Alpha Omega Ministries, is with me. And I said, look, look, there's a Granville Sharp construction. Because in 2 Peter 1, 1, there's a Granville Sharp construction that identifies Jesus as God and, and all the rest of the stuff. And I'm sitting here translating it. And Rich is standing over here, and people would come up, and they, they'd sort of look at it, and they'd, they'd look up at the description, and they'd look over at me, and they'd bend over, and they'd say to Rich, uh, is, is he reading that? Yeah, he's reading it. Come over here, Roger. This man's reading this old piece of paper, you know. And, and so, so a little crowd gathers around over time, you know, and the security guards start doing this number, and we wander off to look at a tiara or something like that, and then I wander back, you know. And eventually, you know, Rich had to drag me out by the hand to get out of here. Come on, you've seen it enough, you know. You can see the, the form of writing here. Uh, you can see the veins of the papyri here, the way it's been laid out. You can see that the uh, writing... This guy was not, he didn't win the, the, the writing bee in first grade, okay? But you know what gets me so excited about this? This was, this was written when you could die for owning it. Remember? Roman soldiers, persecution. So here is an ancient Christian who loves the Word of God so much. He's probably traveling, probably on business, might have been a soldier. We don't know. He wasn't a professional scribe, that much we know. And he probably comes into a church. Christians liked to go to church back then. It wasn't just something you did because you had to. In fact, you risked your life to do it. And they started reading from a book he's never heard of before. What is that? Well, this, these, are, these are Peter's epistles. We don't have that in my church. Could I copy that? We'd love to have this. And so a non-professional sits down, and he finds a piece of papyri. He's not using vellum, the leather of the day, because... What were most Christians in those days? Slaves. They weren't rich. And he handwrites 1st, 2nd Peter, and Jude. And 1,800 years later, I'm looking at it in Denver. What a connection with that ancient believer. I have 
Every reading he put down in my Greek New Testament in my hand, plus the readings of 5,000 other manuscripts, all available to me in one volume. He never had any of that. But the only reason I have this, I have one down there, I should have brought it up with me, right down the front, uh, front pew there. It's an encyclopedia of information about the text of the New Testament. He never had that. But the only reason I can have that is because he risked his life to make this. Don't forget how much you owe to those who went before you. It's easy for us modern people to judge them. But they risked a lot more than most people are willing to risk today. Anyways, I've got to stop preaching. Here's the Granville Sharp construction right here. I'll blow it up here for you. This is the section that identifies our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, uh, from, by the faith of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, the other Granville Sharp instructions in Titus 2.13. Uh, but there is an ancient testimony of the deity of Christ right there. I think that's awesome. Anyway, uh, let me give you another example here. This is P75. Now, this one was done by someone who was trained scribally, but you can, again, see the, the, the nature of the papyri. Here's the beginning of the Gospel of John. Uh, from P75. And then here's P66. You can see here the full book. See how you can see the pages and how the edges of the pages have deteriorated over the years. This is from around 175 to 200. This also is from the Gospel of John. In fact, you can see right there, and the Word was God, John 1.1c. There you can see it as it was written in P66 in, uh, in the second century. And then uh, here's P46. P66, P75 contained the Gospels. Uh, or portions of the Gospels. Piece 46 is a second century compilation of Paul's writings. Pros Philippesus, to the Philippians. There is the beginning of Philippians uh, and the preceding book before that, which I don't believe was actually the same order we have. As I recall, that's actually Ephesians, a little bit different order uh, that they had at that point there in uh, P46. So it gives you an idea of what the papyri manuscripts look like and how early uh, they are. After the peace of the church in A.D. 313, Christians could have professional scribes copy the Scriptures. They couldn't do that up to that point in time, though some of the rich managed to sneak by it anyways, but there weren't very many rich Christians anyways. And by the way, I don't have this in the presentation, but right before my debate with Bart Ehrman, I was reading a brand new scholarly article about a papyri that had been translated that was talking about in Egypt during the height of the imperial persecution of Christians. The worst persecution was not at the beginning, it was at the end, between 260 and 313. This papyri was documenting the things that had been taken from a Christian church uh, under imperial persecution. And one of the things that listed this fascinated me, 32 codices. And we know that over 300 churches in Egypt alone had suffered this. Do the math. How many copies of the scriptures were destroyed during that period of time? The fact that we have anything that survived that period of time is almost miraculous, given that the entire might of Rome was opposed to the Christian faith at that time. At this time, the great vellum or leather manuscripts begin to appear, including the three greatest of these, Sinaiticus, Vaticanus, and Alexandrinus. Uh, Sinaiticus, the Hebrew letter Aleph, Vaticanus B, and Alexandrinus A. Aleph and B may well have been among the Bibles copied with their imperial monies at the time of the Council of Nicaea in AD 325. Eusebius tells us in a letter that Emperor Constantine gave money for the copying of Bibles. He didn't say what to put in the Bibles. But since the imperial Roman armies had been destroying Bibles, he gave imperial monies to replace them. And some of these Bibles, uh, we think at least two of them, have come down to our day in the form of Sinaiticus and Vaticanus. Let's take a look at some of those. Here is a picture of Codex Sinaiticus. Again, if I had time, fascinating story. 
fascinating story, which, by the way, you've probably heard a lot of garbage about. There are people who repeat things that are just falsehoods. Uh, Sinaiticus was found in a garbage can. Baloney. Sinaiticus was found in a monk's cell wrapped in red cloth. Monks do not wrap garbage in red cloth, okay? And they don't keep them in their cells. Codex Sinaiticus, Count von Tischendorf finds this in the middle of the 19th century. If you want to really see Sinaiticus, just go to Sinaiticus.net, CodexSinaiticus.net. The high-quality scans that are available there are just incredible now. But look at the regularity. That's handwriting, folks. Now, you can still see that even people, even professional scribes make mistakes. Oop, got to put that in there. Oop, missed a line. Uh, it, it happens. See, there's a, there's a textual variant right there. See that? There, that's the word head put back into a text. People made mistakes. But look at that handwriting. It's incredible. It's not just one person that did it either. That's the funny thing. There are at least two different scribes, some have identified as many as four, that worked on uh, Sinaiticus, and yet the consistency and the clarity of the handwriting is absolutely incredible. I believe the next one here is Codex Vaticanus, uh, also around the time of the uh, Council of Nicaea, uh, also done uh, in a very clear handwriting. And here's Codex Alexandrinus from around A.D. 400. I have an entire tie, not a bow tie, a regular tie, uh, of Codex Alexandrinus that sometimes I wear. I know, I know. Go ahead, laugh. It's okay. I'm used to it. But some of you are going, ooh, I'd like to have a tie like that too. Uh-huh. Yeah. All right. Back to just the facts. Aside from the 5,700-plus Greek texts, we have early translations into Latin, Coptic, Sahidic, etc., that are important witnesses to the early texts of the New Testament. Combining these with the Greek text yields over 20 thousand early witnesses to the text of the New Testament, not just Greek, but also in Latin and the other languages. We have more than 124 Greek manuscript witnesses within the first 300 years after the writing of the New Testament, far more than any other work of antiquity. As I said, most works of antiquity do not have any manuscript evidence, even 900 years after their original writing. And so to question the text of the New Testament is to question all ancient texts in toto. And only until recently, there weren't very many people quite that audacious, but there are now. In fact, we have 12 manuscripts from the 2nd century, that is, within 100 years, the writing of the New Testament or its closing. These manuscripts contain portions of all four Gospels, nine books of Paul, Acts, Hebrews, and Revelation, comprising a majority of the books of the New Testament we possess today. Again, no work of antiquity even comes close to this early attestation. And since we're talking here uh, in the context of Mormonism, until those golden plates show up, and there's the Book of Mormon. Now, you'll often hear people liken the transmission of the text of the New Testament to the phone game. Remember the phone game where, you know, I, I come down here and I whisper something in this gentleman's ear and he whispers it to you and we whisper it to the back and by the time it gets back there, uh, I said something like, the Diamondbacks aren't doing very well this year and the back, it says something like, the Utah Jazz are the NBA champions, which is a, a real fantasy. But anyway, um, ouch, sore spot there, huh? Okay, all right. Anyway, it, it gets corrupted by the transmission over time. And this is what people like Bart Ehrman and others liken the transmission of the text of the New Testament to, is you have one person whispering in the ear of the other. Well, first of all, if I were to write on a piece of paper, the Diamondbacks aren't doing very well this year, and then have you copy it and give your copy to him and your copy to him and your copy back like that, someone might misspell Diamondbacks, but it's going to get to the back in pretty much the same form because you're right, you're, you're, you've got something in front of you. It's not, what did you say? There's a massive difference between just something whispered in the ear and a handwritten something that you're copying, obviously. That's the first problem. But is that really an accurate way of thinking how the New Testament was translated over time? 
here is uh, the Mediterranean area. And let's say we have uh, some manuscripts here. Generally, you have a manuscript. Say Paul writes, that's actually P72 there. Paul writes something in Rome. And over time, things get copied and they move from one place to another place. They get copied and let's say Paul writes the Romans, someone, someone wants to copy the, the book of Romans and they want to take it to the church in Corinth. That would be a good example of something like that. And so manuscripts begin to proliferate over time. And then in those particular areas, they then get copied and they go to other areas in the known world and you get copies moving into various parts of the world. And then over time, Paul's letters, for example, become collected together. Let's say uh, uh, various and sundry letters come together in one particular area and collations are made. And like P we saw P46, where all of Paul's letters are gathered into one spot. And so then you would have a, the book form. There's P46 right there. And then P46 as a body becomes copied and then it goes over and becomes uh, connected together maybe with some of the early gospel manuscripts and things like that. This is how manuscripts, and of course, this are just a couple of little graphics here. If I had actually made it more like it really was, we wouldn't even be able to see what was going on because of how much copying is going on all across the known world at that time. Why is this important? Because it introduces us to multiple lines of transmission. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information regarding Mormonism Research Ministry, we encourage you to visit our website at www.mrm.org, where you can request our free newsletter, Mormonism Researched. We hope you will join us again as we look at another viewpoint on Mormonism.